welcome to another episode of The Code of Create with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Chris Blakey. Chris is a highly experienced recruiter who's worked on both sides of the Atlantic and is here to impart some knowledge from his years in the industry on how to get not just his first job, but also your second and further jobs in tech. He's also here to bust some myths and spill some truths about the differences between work culture, work-life balance, and salaries on each side of the Atlantic. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please do join our Discord. We're growing a small little community of developers who want to invest in their own career. Uh, so please find the invite link to that in the description. And now on with the show. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Code of Career. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Not bad. So for listeners who aren't familiar with yourself, do you want to give a bit of a background into who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So um, I have been in tech recruitment for, for about 10 years, um, worked for uh, quite a big UK agency for, for about nine. And then for the last year, I've actually run my own company called The Developer Link. Um, so just placing software developers across both the, the US and the UK. I do predominantly sort of US stuff and my business partner, Mike, um, who I also work with at the last company does does mainly sort of UK. Um, and then I think we got connected because we started uh, started a thing called the the Junior Developer Link as a, as a sort of meetup, an events group outside of that. Um, so sort of like encouraging junior developers on their sort of career path and uh, sort of arrange monthly talks for them around uh, um, around sort of things that they can do to progress their career. Cool. Sounds great. Well, seeing as I think at the latest calculation, 92% of our listeners are either in the UK or US and uh, developers with less than three years experience, uh, you're pretty much bang on the kind of person that they need to listen to. Uh, so uh, there's some good advice here, listeners, if you uh, uh, if you stay tuned for this one. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So uh, just to warm things up, I'd like to go through some quick fire questions normally, uh, if that sounds good. Yeah, um, sure. can kick off with uh, the big one is uh, what was your first computer? So I don't actually know. I've been racking my brain trying to think about this. So I'm a I'm a Mac user sort of through and through. And I remember using, I think it was like the first ever Mac, um, like PC at my um, sort of the, the, the lady that looked after me after school when my parents were working. I remember going on there and um, doing very, very basic things on it. But in terms of my actual first PC, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think it was... <laughs> Probably a Tamagotchi more than anything else. Yeah. So I'm, not, I'm not actually sure. Well, to be fair, they are technically computers. Like there, without getting too deep into a technical discussion, I think they are Turing complete. So I think uh, I think a Tamagotchi probably, is technically probably a computer. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably the best answer I've ever had on that. Fair play. <laughs> I don't think I've heard the word Tamagotchi in 15 years. Uh, that is quite stunning. And um, what what about uh, I'm, this? Will be a very interesting question because we already talked a little bit about this off air. Uh, and you're someone that's traveled a lot. Um, what's your favorite tech city? So it's probably going to have to be Austin. Um, like it's it's such a fun city. I lived it. I lived in both Austin and um, and New York over the last sort of five years. And New York's incredible for tech as well. But like Austin's just a different different breed. And like so many companies moving there, relocating their head offices there. Um, and then it's just. Yeah, it's just full of tech people. You can't you can't go to a bar without running into people that work in development or work in sales for these big SaaS companies. Um, and it's basically a bunch of drunk tech people. It's the, <laughs> the, the, the whole city. Sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of the public policy uh, decisions there have um, led to people moving from Silicon Valley over to over to Austin. So definitely, it's somewhere that I I'm really hopefully uh, going to visit uh, soon at some point just to check out the tech scene there. It's definitely on the bucket list for me. Yeah. Have you heard of um, South by Southwest? I have. Yeah. Have you been? I would, de- I would definitely recommend going there. Um, yeah. It's basically like four days of four days of tech, four days of film and like four days of music. Um, like it's a really, really cool event. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out if you uh, if you're able to. Yeah, definitely. That sounds right on my street. I've been gradually throughout COVID coming up with a list of places I want to go. And Austin is definitely up there. Um, so hopefully... Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll have to sell the code of career or something, make a, make a load of money and then travel around all the places that I haven't been able to go to. Um, and Austin would definitely be on the list. Weirdly, and... Scotland's on my list. So, oh, is uh, it? Yeah, I, got, I, was, I was there for about two hours um, a few years ago. Um, not not like was there for two hours and then decided to leave. Like, I just, just went, went and played a squash game and then had to go home. Oh, but, nice. I don't know. Uh, I, it's definitely like Edinburgh or, um, or Glasgow. I definitely want to go to both at some point. 
Yeah, it's it's awesome up here. I, I absolutely love it. And uh, I, London, I, as obviously people can tell from my accent and regular listeners will know, I, I grew up in London despite being Scottish. And I love London, um, but Edinburgh's got unreal vibes. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great city. I, I recommend it, but bring your jacket uh, yeah. and an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> um and what what about when you're uh, when you're working um finding the next great developer for your client uh what what music do you like to listen to so recently we've had a we've only just moved into our first office um like with it being the pandemic and just me and my business partner for so long um we did a mixture of working from home and um working out of his garage that he converted so um we've only recently started to have an, an office and start to actually have input as to what people want to listen to because I've just been so used to myself um, and I would just listen to talk sport all day long because it's something <laughs> that I can it, kind of just chatting in the background and like I can kind of concentrate like with with music I don't know why like I get sort of like hung up on whether it's a good song or like if mm. I want to change the song and stuff like that sometimes if I'm feeling a little bit tired I'll put on like a bit of house nation um, but it's pretty much been exclusively hot since we moved into the, <laughs> the office for like the last five or six weeks which uh has its ups and downs and my uh my business partners become a bit of a scrooge and every time they play a christmas song at the moment seems to <laughs> seems to kick off but uh yeah a pre- pretty much a mixture of either talk sport or or heart if i'm in the office <laughs> i have to say and for, for context because obviously this is being recorded slightly in advance it, it's still november so i i'm afraid <laughs> i have to agree with your business partner it's not time for christmas songs yet um i I know, I know what you mean about listening to talk sport can be weirdly relaxing. I, I quite like phoning in after a big team has lost. Um, phoning in. I quite like listening to the phone-ins after a big team has lost in the football because it's usually quite entertaining um, if I'm on a dry, if I'm in the car driving somewhere. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's so therapeutic about just listening to grown men argue with each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's a strange one, but uh, yeah. it seems to do the trick. The, the compilations on YouTube were amazing of... Um, like grown men calling in and crying about uh, teams losing, and there um, oh, there've been some uh, cracking ones. Like um, there's, well, I'll tell you about it off air. But there, there's a great Scottish one where uh, the guy uh, calls in and um, he thinks that uh, Antti Niemi, uh, who is a goalie for it was either Hearts or Hibs for years, um, he rants for about five minutes about why he hasn't been picked for Scotland, and they say, well, he's Finnish. And he says, oh, no, no, he's not finished. He's only 26. Like, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a great one. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm probably alienating 90% of the listener base here talking about Scottish football. But um, yeah, so in terms of when you are on the hunt for developers, uh, would you say you're more of an early bird or night owl? So with, so I work pretty much all US roles. Um, so I, I typically work from like 10 a.m. to like 10 p.m. Mm. Um, so pretty much pretty much night owl out of uh out of i guess just need to really to be able to get hold of people with us being sort of five six hours behind the majority of places that i'm recruiting for um but like it works for me like i've never i've never been one for getting up and getting into the office for like 8 8 30 it was always the worst part of my job so i quite i quite like it like obviously it's a pain when someone messaged me saying that they can speak after work at like five thirty, and I've got to be uh, yeah. got to be ca- calling them at like half ten, half eleven. But um, for the majority of the time, it works works quite well for me. Nice, yeah. Um, I've always thought that's very interesting working in a different time zone. A lot of developers end up doing that, and uh, I've found if they're working maybe from the UK for a uh, East Coast company, um, have you you found it challenging, or is it slot in all right mostly? It's been it's been absolutely fine. Like the it, it's one of those weird things where I think the the pandemic actually helped um, me conveniently for, from from starting a business because I I had wanted to do it for for a long time and it was always my long term goal and like I always wanted to go back to back to the UK. So it was something that I thought about. Like, are people going to um, to care basically that I'm I'm in the UK and that I can't come meet them and like all of this kind of stuff, but obviously like every even if i was in new york the majority of people would still want to meet over zoom and and stuff Mm. like that so it doesn't really make a lot of difference um so it's it's kind of played to my favor but it's not it's not really been an issue i think some people see contracts that i send over and see like this will be under the law of the uk and like (laughs) get a bit funny about that and i have to change them to (laughs) to their law but uh, apart from that people don't seem to care where you are as long as you can find them good people Mm. That's the beauty of the technology industry, isn't it? Because people tend to have quite a global mindset about it. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. And what what about um, pre the recruitment days uh, when you were uh, when you were a kid? What was the, what was the dream job? Did you want to be a recruiter? Um, I because I know when I was growing up, I didn't know what a recruiter was, but I became one when I was twenty. I don't think anyone wants to be a recruiter. <laughs> I think, I think every, everyone falls into it that doesn't yeah. know what they want to do for somewhere between a week and ten years. Like, like no no one actually wakes up and decides that they will they want to be a recruiter. But um, I. Kind of had two, so I wanted to be a policeman for mm. for ages, um, but then realised that like the I basically wanted to be a detective. I didn't want to be a policeman, <laughs> so like, you you can't you can't really just go straight in and start yeah. sol- solving crimes. There's quite a lot that you need <laughs> you need to do before that. Um, and then the I, I like all of my uh, all of my studying um, and, and like GCSEs and A levels and like all of that kind of stuff was to to do medicine. So I really wanted to be a, a be a doctor, but it got down to applying for universities and just absolutely bottled it on the day that I was supposed to. Um, so like to basically just saw myself. I was like, this is the decision. If I do, if I go this way, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life um whereas like i decided that it wasn't for me and and kind of took a took a bit of a turn and did, did psychology with a degree which again you can't really do anything with apart from do another psychology degree after you've <laughs> finished so ended up in recruitment very nice and uh now you've kind of got onto this journey where you've worked your way up and started your own business which is uh which is really cool and you, you've done that relatively quickly then because i think you said you've been in the industry about 10 years so um and you've been running your business for about two years or slightly less? Uh, yeah, slightly less. It was a, a year at the end of August. So yeah, literally just over just over a year. So I worked for the other company for, for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think it was because I, I went out to the US to set up their offices. So I'd had some experience of doing it sort of like from scratch. Um, I went out with a, with a couple of other people to Austin, um, which was the, the company's first US office and kind of set that up. And then when I went to New York, I was actually on my own um, and, and set that up from scratch. So I'd kind of done it twice with a lot of help and backing and uh, uh, things like lawyers and accountants and like all of that kind of stuff and then it was just a case of kind of ripping yourself out from that and having to to kind of learn those things on the go but luckily my my business partner deals with the majority of the not fun (laughs) stuff so i'm still fine (laughs) very nice sounds good and uh so i to 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 go on to more uh, about what you do obviously you you're a agency recruiter in the sense that you seek out candidates based off uh, briefs from clients uh, for people that aren't familiar um obviously you see a lot of cvs and that kind of thing uh, as the top level question, uh, what in general makes you stand out? I know that's um, I know that's a super generic thing, but for a candidate, what what makes them stand out to you? I think I actually did a post about this a few days ago. Like the the two things that always stand out to me, and and bearing in mind, I'm probably looking at somewhere between like five hundred and a thousand LinkedIn profiles a day um, mm. for the, for the volume of jobs that we're working. Um, like it's, it's personality is a huge thing. Um, and then just just real clarity around what you've done and what you're looking to do. Um, and and when I say when I say personality, I don't mean like a picture of your dog wearing a hat or like <laughs> any anything stupid like that. I mean literally just putting your own your own spin on what you've done, whether that be a particular particular hobby that you're very interested in, or like maybe you've done a personal project that's particularly interesting. Or even just something remotely funny that you can think of that you could put on your profile or um, or, or uh, on your on your resume. I think the fa- my favorite one I've ever seen is I don't know, I don't know if you've ever seen Anchorman. Uh, oh yeah, I have. Yeah, it's classic. Yeah. And uh, and um, the guy the guy's put on his his tagline. He was like, "I work with JavaScript," or it might be it might be JavaScript. I'm not sure if it's a soft <laughs> J. <laughs> and just just something like that. It really just grabs you. Like, and you're you're then on that person's profile, and you're really reading it. Whereas it can be so easy when you're looking through so many profiles to just kind of like briefly briefly skim through. Um, and then the other thing, like I said, is is just clarity. Um, so there's so many people that like will list a thousand buzzwords of every tech that their company has worked on. And yeah, it means you come up in every search. And it's probably the reason why a lot of people get hit with roles that aren't right for them because they're coming up in everyone's search. Um, but like the people that go, I worked on this project with 
two other people predominantly focused on back end working on C sharp, like real clarity around what they've actually done um, is, is what makes it easier for me as someone that I'm not technical. I can write a tiny bit of HTML, got to the point where I was doing CSS and gave up. So like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not technical enough to really be able to, to vet, but looking from that sort of standpoint, that's what I need to see is like how, and where have you used the technologies that I'm sort of sourcing for? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And I think people, it's interesting to say people get hit with stuff that isn't relevant to them, but people are very quick to blame the recruiter for that. And yes, yeah, sometimes there are recruiters that just spray and pray. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times because they're very junior and they don't know any better. Um, Not sometimes. There are a lot of yeah. bad recruiters. So like, yeah. the bl- blame where blame's due. Like there are a lot of bad recruiters out there. But I think I think like you were saying, some, I'd say something crazy like 50, 60% of recruiters that are uh, sourcing jobs right now probably have less than a year's experience. Yeah. So that's the vast majority of what is going out there. And like we, we as a smaller company, for example, like we pay for like each in-mail that we send out, like is actual mm. money coming out of our pocket. Um, yeah. Whereas if you get a message from someone who's six months into recruitment, that's working for a large corporate, that's got unlimited emails, uh, email, sorry, they'll, they'll just search Java and developer like nationwide and just hit everyone, whether you're, whether you're right or not, they won't look at your profile. Mm. Um, whereas we actually go through and we'll select the profiles that we want to message. And we have, We've tried, um, we've tried and tested a lot of different um, styles of in-mail and stuff like that because for us, we need to cut through that level of noise. Um, people are getting anywhere between 10 and 100 messages a day like for some of the roles that we're recruiting for. So we, we have to somehow be like, hi, like we actually know what we're talking about. Like we're not just another, another recruiter. Like this is actually something that I think you'd be, you'd be good for. Um, so it's quite tough to cut through that noise sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I think I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, um, to be honest, but I, I actually say to people in general, if you're going to deal with an external recruiter, like an agent, then it is generally de- better to deal with someone who's from a kind of boutique agency uh, because there is that attention to detail. Um, they're much more likely to have been trained a bit more hands on. Um, and I think particularly the best kinds of agencies to work with are the ones where it's a small group of senior consultants who maybe left a larger one and uh, are now striking out on their own. At least that, that's what I've seen. The, I mean, I've been out of the recruitment game for a little while now, but um, it's from an outsider's perspective. That's what I can I can see are the most successful ones um, that work well. Obviously, there's always exceptions to the rule, but that's the general trend I've spotted Uh a fewer fewer consultants boutique focused approaches is the way to go uh, if you want to work with a good recruiter i find yeah for sure i've just i've just noticed that the first time i've done a podcast i just keep nodding like i'm like you can't, <laughs> you, can't, you, can't you can't hear that but um like what um what made you go from like out of recruitment did you do it for quite a while it's an interesting question and uh, something I actually often forget to go into detail on on the podcast, um, but I did it. So I I basically sampled every kind of recruitment that was. So I went to university, did a business degree, um, kind of was aware of what computer science was because uh, um, my like one of my best mates at uni um, did computer science and uh, they were, sh- it's such a stupid story, but they were short on numbers for their football team. Um, and uh, I'm awful at football, uh, so there was no chance I was making the business one. So I went to play for the uh, computer science, uh, like intramural football team, and yeah. we were the worst team by far. But I made some good mates, so I learned a little bit about it. And I thought, well, it's probably too late to, you know, get into this. Um, I left uni with like an overdraft. I thought tech recruitment is a good way to make some money. I did all right. Um, I was never the best kind of agency recruiter. Um, I didn't didn't enjoy it that much. Uh, I thought I was a bit. I thought I was Jordan Belfort, um, and then I quickly realised I wasn't when it came to sales. Um, and I realised I just quite enjoyed speaking to candidates. So I got to learn uh, a little bit more about uh, how everything worked under the hood. So I started teaching myself to code at night. Um, went and worked for uh, a company called Talent.io, which is kind of like a smart recruitment platform. You basically yeah. sign up and they select candidates for you. So kind of an agency. Um, then I realized I needed to take learning coding seriously. So I quit, um, went out as a day rate contractor, uh, as a recruiter, uh, and, uh, managed to basically, 
um, negotiate a deal where I was uh, working as a recruiter for a startup for four days a week and then interning as a software engineer one day a week. And then finally, uh, via a React course, I ended up um, becoming a software engineer. So it's a bit convoluted, but um, yeah, it's a bit like, it's very much like recruitment in that most developers uh, don't have a very clear story about how they actually ended up doing it especially if they don't have a computer science degree obviously uh but yeah that that's how i ended up where i am yeah for sure apart from the fact that there was no one out there that's gone and paid for a 12-week boot camp to get into recruitment like that's <laughs> <laughs> not a thing although maybe it should be <laughs> yeah i think um to be to be fair uh it i mean probably probably more so that companies would pay for it but um definitely ones with a structured training program um would, would be good judging by some of the emails i get from people that have clearly just been let loose uh <laughs> with 100 credits uh but yeah i mean boot camps are a funny one um like i went to a kind of um modified one that was just you already kind of had to know how to code and just learn react but yeah i i am always a little bit puzzled by people that literally have never written a line of code and go straight into a boot camp uh, i always think that's quite brave but uh yeah it is um yeah it's an interesting one um everyone's got a different story how to get into uh um well, everyone's got a different story about how they got into recruitment, but uh, software engineering as well. Um, but uh, but but yeah, I mean, I've always worked in uh, always worked in the UK for uh, tech. I've worked more internationally recruiting. Have you have you found there's a big difference in the tech scene between the UK and US? Because I only ever did continental Europe. I never really did anything in the states. The the salaries are nuts for one, yeah. <laughs> like, and I think I think one of the one of the worst things that that I've seen is a lot of companies from the UK going to the US just try and convert their salary in the UK mm. into dollars, and like it just doesn't doesn't equate. Um, and I think that's why the majority of comp- like recruitment companies are opening up in the US because of the size of the fees um because they're obviously able to there's less competition so they're able to charge a higher percentage of a higher salary um so the the size of the placements that we were doing out in the us are sort of three four times what we would do in the uk um and that's mainly down to the salaries like someone someone with sort of three four years experience in the uk you're looking at what like somewhere between 30 and 50 depending on the company Mm -hmm. and the tech stack Whereas like out there, you're looking anywhere between 120 to like 160, 170. It's just absolutely nuts. Yeah, lower taxes in a lot of states as well. Um, particularly, I mean, we were talking about Austin earlier. Texas, I think, has got very low income tax, hasn't it? Yeah, and then obviously the majority of companies are are, are there for the the fact that there's no corporation tax either. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good setup if you can get it. Do you do you find the um in terms of the uh, work-life balance a lot a lot of the time people say that um the work is it's much more like there's less culture of te- of a work-life balance in the states would you would you say that's fair compared to uk or is it exaggerated uh i don't i don't really know like i think i think there's there's a lot less holiday um or vacation days like it's it's crazy the amount of the amount of vacation days that some people have like the average is like 10 or something um so um, you see around for example today's um today's actually thanksgiving so everyone because they've got that day off um and they've got so little holiday everyone will also be off tomorrow and some of them will be off wednesday because they really want to maximize that time off because they get so few days um and then a lot of with work events as well like work events will be over a weekend with like family and people will go take their family to like a work event over a weekend whereas like in the uk like you would you would not be seen outside of like the the hours of nine till five monday through friday you would not be seen with anyone like you wouldn't be with your manager at a retreat in anywhere in the uk over a weekend um whereas like in the in the us it seems quite quite common that they'll go to vegas with their family and uh, and be there for a conference or weekend it's quite a quite a strange one so i don't know whether they're more attached to their working lives or they're more sort of like intertwined but um, I definitely think there, there's a, there are some differences there for sure. Mm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And um, I think we talked about corporate life a little bit there. And um, I mean, th- this doesn't really pertain to either the US or the UK. It's just generally. Um, I've got my own opinions on this, but I don't want to reveal them until what you say. So I'm curious now. Um, when it comes to junior candidates, someone wants their first or second job, would you say... They should go for a startup, medium-sized enterprise of maybe 100 developers or go full corporate, like work for a consulting firm or a bank or something. 
Um, so I think there's pro there's pros and cons to all of them. Um, I think probably like a, a an SME is probably the best bet or like the like later stage startup. Um, the the issue I've got with corporate is the fact that you can get you can get lost in the corporate mm. ladder of right. You have to be a junior for the next two years, and then you'll get promoted to like mid or like whatever like or like software engineer two or like whatever it is on their scale you will do it on their timelines and and also you can get stuck in that if you did want to go to a startup further down the line like i specifically get told that they don't want people from large corporates because they won't Mm. be able to work in a startup environment um and also it's just kind of known that um or at least they think they know that someone that works in a large corporate is only doing a very very small part of whatever they're doing like a very small cog in a wheel whereas they view people that work in startups and smes as more well-rounded and and better at kind of picking stuff up that might be slightly outside their job description and all that kind of stuff um from a startup perspective like you could be i don't know like lead dev within like a couple of years and (laughs) and it could be brilliant but also like they might never have hired a junior before they might have no training like they they might basically just need someone to do what is essentially dog work for someone else that doesn't want to do it and they might just think oh like this is this is cheap to hire a junior like maybe it'll work out like my first sales job um it's not on my linkedin because it was horrendous but like i I, I got brought into this large software company and they'd never hired entry-level salespeople before, but they did like a, um, uh, what's the, the the TV program? Apprentice style sort of like assessment day. They hired like six grads um, and they were basically like, we can pay these guys like 30 or 40 grand a year, like which would be good for them, but so much cheaper than hiring senior salespeople. And we'll be able to, get six people that are really bought in, really talented, blah, blah, blah. Um, we all left within six months. Like I, I, I lasted, I think maybe three or four, like, and every, everyone just teared off because they had no training plan in place. They had no actual structure. So we were reporting dotted into like three different people. And one person would say, this is the way that you sell. And like another person would be like, why are you doing it that way? And there was just no structure. So we were, we were set up to fail like right from the start um where which is what i would imagine a lot of startups can be like they think that hiring a junior is a great idea but if they've got no way of training them or anything like that they'll actually be a drain on the team that they already have there if anything um so like again as much opportunity as there is in a startup i would avoid the very very small ones if they haven't hired juniors before which is where i think sme sort of come in but like i think it overall comes down to the person because like corporate will have some of the best training from um from like probably almost like a, an academy to like turn up to and they'll yeah. have your first 30 60 90 days like so planned out and you but you might not actually write any useful code for your first like three to six months because you might be being trained so it depends what you kind of want from a want from a company more than anything else whether you want sort of opportunity to grow and and take tasks on or whether you want real structured formal training um so which is why i think sort of like smes that have hired juniors in the past are probably the best way to go and sort Mm -hmm. of best of both worlds yeah i'm definitely inclined to agree um i think if you can get to the point where you're in an established sort of squad structure if you're working like agile um where you've maybe got a senior dev to like pair up with and that kind of thing what you don't want with a startup um obviously for the reasons you mentioned already uh, in the sense that you might just be hired as a more senior person but on a cheaper salary um the other thing as well is one of the best ways to learn as a developer is to work on an existing code base and just make small fixes the problem is with a startup you'd be you're like building greenfield stuff which for me now at my point in my career now that i'm sort of at that mid-level that's like a bonus i actually really prefer building my greenfield stuff because i don't yeah. have to deal with someone else's code uh, that, that they wrote five years ago and have left the company um whereas when i started my career i would have really struggled with greenfield because it's like how do i build this solution and you learn about design patterns and solutions just from working on uh, other people's code and yeah. uh, learn it learning from there so it's quite a nice way of informally being structured but yeah it's kind of down to your risk, to- risk tolerance as well like if you back yourself and you're willing to put in some hard hours and a startup can be the best thing. But yeah, I'm inclined to agree that it's probably best to go SME or if you want that rigorous structured training, then definitely um, corporate like 
especially if you get into like a fang um company or i suppose the acronym has probably changed now to facebook Mang now isn't it yeah, yeah. Man, <laughs> i don't like that as much if Not you get into so a yeah if you can get into a mang company um then uh you know it's it's generally a good idea just to have that on your cv anyway um from your first job but yeah but um for sure and um so we, we talked about duration of um, recruiting into the uh, into the industry. You, you've been doing it for around a decade now. How has the culture shifted and what changes have you noticed in the scene, both in the UK and the US? So obviously like tech tech continues to evolve consistently. And like, when I when I started, everyone wanted PHP developers. Like, <laughs> absolutely everyone needed PHP developers. That is there a were, big change. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was all like laravel and symphony and like all of these frameworks and like yeah. that was all all anyone wanted and then a few years ago it was like everyone needed ruby on rails developers and everyone was doing boot camps for ruby on rails and like every startup was using ruby on rails now every single company wants javascript developers like, so it go it goes in waves and things are so popular um but then they they kind of seem to to disappear a little bit but um, I think the biggest thing that's obviously changed most recently is the like evolution of remote working um, and, and companies that have adapted to it. Um, like everyone, everyone obviously had to do it over the last couple of years, but the companies that have embraced it are going to be the ones that, that succeed. Um, like there's so many companies, like I get countless calls and messages from people that have been forced to work remotely for the last 18 months. Now, all of a sudden their company's like, right, you've got to come back into the office. So this part, like, unless you can, like prove that this person couldn't do their job from home because i think that was always the thing like i always wanted to work remotely in my last job but like you you didn't have the tools to be able to do it whereas mm. every company had to adapt so people could work from home like if they couldn't work from home they would not have been working there for the last 18 months they would have been fired so they've obviously done a good enough job like i don't understand why they then force people to come back into the office when it's been proven that they can do that and some companies are even like ha you have to come in one day a week or five days a month or something like that. Those days aren't even coordinated with other people. <laughs> yeah. So people, people are going in and sitting on Zoom with people that are at home by themselves in the office. Like, what's the point? <laughs> like, yeah. like, it it's just ridiculous. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think I have a requirement in my current one in my contract to come to Birmingham. So I live in Edinburgh, go to Birmingham once every three months, but it hasn't actually happened yet. And I've been here over six months. So yeah, um, yeah it is just so much easier. Have you, have you noticed the effect of um, the great resignation as they're calling it? Yeah, like there, there's so many, there's so many people that have been that have been looking for work. And like I think the market has gone a little bit crazy over the last sort of few weeks. And people are, people are getting paid 20, 30% more than than what realistically they should be just due to the, <laughs> the competitiveness of it um companies are counter offering with almost what i'd consider like danger money for like people to uh, people to actually stay so i'm interested to see what happens in six to 12 months when someone's got a 50 percent uplift on their salary and they're still probably doing the same amount of work whether whether they're they're gonna end up keeping everyone but um yeah the amount of money that's being thrown around to both keep people and to, to tempt people away is is crazy yeah because the effect in the uk has been I've never seen it so busy, but I've heard in the US it's uh, like 10 times crazier than how it is uh, here in terms of the competition. And the, the other thing as well is like everyone's gone from, I don't know, living in Basingstoke and having like companies mm. within like a 45 minute drive as their only only options to the whole the whole of the UK or even like it's happening to Europe. You think like someone used to have to to work in Alabama like and they had like four tech companies there like and now they can they can speak to companies in like you said every time zone every state in the US that are all happy to hire remotely um so their their ability and their number of options has just gone through the roof so that they can sit there and be like well if you don't want to pay me that like someone will like it's yeah. it's absolutely nuts it's a good thing for society i think um the remote work um kind of push uh, like i've noticed that a lot of us I've heard about a lot. A lot of US, like smaller rural counties, have um, been giving tax incentives for remote tech workers to, to move there if there's not many jobs, just because of you know local economics. If you can get if you can get money into local economy by remote workers, it's it's a great way to go and it provides jobs for people. You know, maybe in deindustrialized areas and that sort of thing. So I think over the next ten years, I'm I'm pretty sure there'll be a positive effect. Um, you know, worldwide, we'll see greater. Um, uh, 
economic equality, at least I hope, um, as a, a in a regional um, regional inequality. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, I hope that will happen. How do you feel about, um, I guess, remote working salaries being adjusted to where people are living? Like ev- everyone seems to have an opinion one way or another, and every client has is either very, like they're either outwardly saying we will pay you the same no matter where you live or they're outwardly saying why would we pay you a new york salary if you live in the middle of nowhere like what what do you kind of think the way i the way i see it is i i do actually have some increased expenses from being at home um working at home um compared to how i would be otherwise but I, I don't mind taking a slight pay cut. Like I could probably get paid more if I worked in a London-based company, but I just know even just my rent is just so much cheaper here. And I live in like the center of Edinburgh. Um, it's it's worth it. For, it's worth it for me, but like not anything more than like 5%. And I think that's kind of the beauty of the free market in that I kind of don't have to make that decision. The company's going to make it for me. Yeah. Um, and I, in terms of moral question, it's I'm not really bothered if a company wants to pay me slightly less if I live outside the M25 because I just know the money that I, I save is worth it. And uh, if companies are, um, if all companies are going to do that, then that's fine because if you can save, like I reckon my living costs are 30% cheaper being up here versus in London. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a 5% pay pay cut means nothing in that respect so it doesn't bother me that much i understand why some people are upset like especially if they've been told you have to take a pay cut which hasn't happened to me um like if you have like a mortgage and that sort of thing that's conditional on your salary i understand when people are upset by it but yeah i'm i'm not overly bothered about it um in in that respect like because there are you know you're you're being given compensation for a reason and like transport and housing in london is so expensive so yeah um, i understand yeah and um, w- would you say, I mean, going back to the uh, uh, going back to junior developers and obviously what, what you're working on as well with uh, your series of events, I, I guess a lot of the theme of it is, is standing out. Do you think there's any really underrated skills or assets, either technical or non-technical, uh, that juniors can have in this competitive market? Because unfortunately, the, mar- the job market is great for everyone apart from entry-level developers. Uh- yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, I think, it, I think it's one of those things like, um, you say it's not a good market for, for junior and entry level developers, but it will become one because like the, once it gets to the point where like no one is looking at a mid and senior level, like this, the, the only place that people can go, mm. um, will be, will be juniors. And like, obviously they, they're gonna, they're gonna have to hire them at, at some point. But like, I think the, the biggest underrated things, like, first of all, like it's, it's just being honest about what people know and what they don't um and just being super willing super eager to go and learn whatever they whatever they don't um i think people try and over embellish like their abilities and and all of this kind of stuff and um i think the the honesty of uh, particularly in interviews i've seen people and, and heard of people try and muddle their way through and just sort of like oh no i know enough about it because like you've half read about it whereas if people go in and they're like i don't act i'm very interested in it but i don't know anything about it like would that be something that i would get exposure to here that that that, that answer versus trying to give a like something that you read four years ago that you can't really quite remember like that answer is always going to put you in better stead um so like being real honest about it and i've seen people struggle on a technical test or something like that or struggle on a question go away go away and like research it and then send up a follow-up answer of like sorry you kind of blindsided me on that i went away looked at it here's what i would have done um and companies are literally like well the only thing I need from a junior is them to do that on a day-to-day basis. We're not expecting them to know everything. Like we're expecting them to have passion about what they're doing and, and the ability to go away and like learn new things. That's all they're looking at. Um, so that the, the fact that you would be willing to do that for, for someone that you've interviewed with or during your first few weeks on the job, like I would always say, don't know, let me go look at it. Um, rather than, rather than being like, yeah, yeah no, I know that. And, and digging yourself a hole like, i just mm. i just don't think it's ever ever possible and then the other thing i think is like obviously personality but that's much harder to work on <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true i think um yeah and, and t- taking notes during the interview as well um is also a good thing to do because it shows that you're receptive and 
and obviously it's good to ask permission that you can uh take some notes and I, I i totally agree with what you said about following up afterwards like it just creates a good impression shows that you listen show that uh shows that you're proactive and you'll go out and research uh by yourself i think people sometimes get a bit uh, not mean to stereotype about developers but um we tend to be more introverted and less keen to like reach out um maybe and i think people get a bit intimidated to reach out to a hiring manager um and just explain you know what happened uh, like their answers and clarifying in an interview or even just to say thank you for the interview um yeah it, it, it's something that like the hiring manager is only going to appreciate that uh i have noticed a weird trend um where people have been publicly posting on their linkedin saying i had a great interview today with xyz company don't do that because yeah. one it's uh the job post might be confidential and two uh everyone else is now going to apply for that job so yeah. you're kind of doing yourself in a little bit um but but yeah it, it's don't be afraid to reach out to a hiring manager is yeah I, I totally agree with that yeah for sure i think like you said people don't people don't do it enough but like you don't even need to do it directly if you're working with a recruiter you can send them a follow-up or, or stuff like that but like free freezing on the spot during an interview is very very common um like i think for in, in any industry but going away and looking at it and showing what you would have done um like 10 like nine times out of 10 people think that an interview or like a process is done because like a like a, a car crash question or like a, they bomb a technical test or something like that there's normally a way around it like and people want to hire you like no there are the there's the odd company that like, i worked with, I, I didn't work with them but i spoke to one in new york that they were very proud about the fact that 97 percent of people failed their tech test and i was like what is the point like, but, like the majority of people they're desperate to hire you so like they'll be just as disappointed if not more disappointed than you are that that interview has not gone well um and it could literally just be a case of going away researching something and sending a follow-up email they'll be like well that's awesome they obviously just had a bit of a brain freeze like they do they do know it and they've gone away and and looked at it this is exactly what they would have done like on their day-to-day -day. like and that can be the difference between obviously landing it and, and not landing it yeah exactly and even going so far as building some small uh some small project in that company's tech stack or something like that just to show what you can do uh show that you've researched something uh is, is always a is always a good thing like if there's a tool that's been brought up to you that you didn't know anything about um then just going away and researching it like um I hate to blow my own trumpet but it's just the first example that's come to my head um my um second dev job which i'd only actually been an experienced developer for eight weeks because um i got made redundant with my first dev job it's a long story um but after that uh i was interviewing and uh the uh job that i liked the most uh was using angular uh, which i'd never used before and i went away and i did a eight hour course on it and i and i think it was that that was the kind of I'm not saying go and study it for eight hours. That was a bit excessive. Um, but I think it was that sort of thing that maybe pushed me over the line um, relative to other candidates. And if you can just display your enthusiasm for learning a new tool, um, then it's, you know, you're just going to stand out because it's amazing how many people are actually very passive, even as an entry-level developer. Um, yeah. They know what they know and they don't want to kind of do anything else. I think like we were saying before, like even over the last like 10 years, like tech shifted so much from from PHP to Rails to like, obviously JavaScript as the being the hottest thing at the moment. Like it doesn't really matter what, what you know at that moment in time. Most of it is like, can you go and pick up new things, like, especially as a especially as a junior. But for, for anyone, like you will be outdated at some point if you can't go and pick up new things. Mm. Got to roll the punches. Like it doesn't matter who you are, like how experienced you are, like. I'm not the most senior engineer in the world. I'm a mid-level developer, but you know, I'm learning new stuff all the time. Like I'm trying to get better at backend stuff, DevOps. So learning about Web three technologies at the moment. Like you know, you've, you've always got to stay, stay, stay busy and uh, keep stimulated. One of the one of the best tips I actually got for sort of like Zoom interviews as well was uh, like you said, if you do if you're doing a bit of research before your before your interview, it's actually with one of the talks we did with Zigo um they said write like post-it notes uh about what you've researched and like literally stick them to stick them around your screen um so that you can refer to it throughout like, and that was coming from a hiring manager that was looking to hire juniors he was just like why would you not have them there and ready and stuff the reference and that could be oh i see you worked with so-and-so at this company i know them or it might be like you said, I saw that you're working on this. I, I did some research. It looks really interesting. Like just having little things like that for 
for inevitable sort of like you don't want to get to the end of a call and be like oh i wish i brought up yeah. like this thing um so like having stuff like that ready is not like some people think it's considered like cheating i think to to be like that that prepared and like i even have it with like so many tech tests that companies send out like they don't put in the thing whether you can use google or not like nine times out nine times out of ten you can use google because you were doing your job but nine times out of ten people don't use google because they think it's a test and they shouldn't <laughs> and that would be cheating and like yeah. like people people just end up failing stuff where they would easily pass them because they can't yeah. remember one thing that they could google in five seconds the most important skill about being a developer is learning how to google like or yeah. honestly like you can't expect everything to be in your head the whole time like the syntax and stuff like there's so many things going on like i honestly if i no let me go on now like i'll go on my other browser i've at least 14 tabs about authentication services like easily they're all stack overflow ones like it, yeah. it's it's so it's just so inconsequential like you need to know how to google so definitely don't be ashamed uh of googling and um the one time i'd say is don't google is maybe on a phone interview um uh, with a hiring manager um don't google because it's really obvious when you're typing your answer yeah. <laughs> when you're typing if they say oh what is um why is Next.js uh good um for a front end and they hear you furiously typing away like they know what's yeah. going on uh it's better to say i'm not sure but i'll find out and you know then we loop back to what we were saying earlier but yeah it's um there's a lot of things you can do and uh i think generally the theme of being proactive rather than passive is just the best thing, best way of being a junior developer and in terms of what you're running at the moment with the junior develop um developer link do you, do you want to say a bit more about that and the events you have running as well yeah for sure so um we, we're doing we're doing sort of one a month and they're all aimed at um, kind of entry level juniors grads and, and people that are like kind of within their first their first dev job and we've had anything from sort of like engineering leaders to heads of talent um, to a couple with sort of juniors that have, have recently started and, and stuff like that to talk about their stories and the next one that we're doing in a in a couple of weeks um, is actually with a with a guy that decided to join a when you were saying about um, different different sides of different sizes of companies to join and stuff like that he decided to join a a, a startup not like a sort of one-man band but a, a much smaller company and um he's actually a lead on a particular project at the moment and like it's a, a really interesting thing and like it, it's nice to be able to look at someone in a junior role and be like oh well, i'm not just going to be doing like we said sort of dog work you could be doing important work within within like sort of a, a matter of months um at, at some of these companies and i think it's going to be quite a relatable thing the last one that we did was sort of on all on interviewing and how to how to sort of interview the company as well as you so it, it basically started from i spoke to so many juniors and had so many juniors apply to my roles as a as a recruiter i, I like probably one out of a hundred roles that i work on is a junior role because people can find themselves they don't want to they don't want to pay me for a fee for something that they could put an advert out and, and get a load of people and they just have to screen through doesn't mean that we don't ever work on them but i i just never was and i, I realized that i didn't have anything to offer these juniors but i had such a good network from working uh, in the industry for 10 years i was like what if i connected just the juniors that are applying to my jobs with some of the people that I know in my network for an hour a month and give them a bit a bit of their time, like can they'll be able to get a lot of advice from them, like more than more than I could give. So um we did a we did a QA literally just me and my business partner, and then we were like, we should probably get someone that knows more than <laughs> more than we do on for the for the next QA. And it's just kind of gone from there. And now now we've got to the point we've probably only done 10 but um now i have people reaching out to me to be like i've seen this we'd quite like to do one as a company we're looking at doing um some potential in-person ones next year like potentially one in one in london potentially one in new york and it's it's really exciting and it's a it's a good group you see people come back um each and every each and every month and then there's there's always new people as well but um yeah like i'll uh, i'll send you some links and stuff to to the group and and obviously keep you posted on sort of future events and stuff if uh, if anyone listening obviously wants to join yeah that, that sounds great and all those links will be in the description of the podcast because it's definitely um always worth getting all the advice you can and also you never know who you're going to meet an event especially an in-person one 
like one of my guests recently um she got a job at our current company through um through just meeting someone at a uh, at a meetup who turned out to be our director of engineering so oh, cool. it, it's one of those one of those things it's a great place to network learn new things um and uh, have a laugh as well <laughs> so it's uh yeah that sounds really great and uh, i also think as well it's a great um, strategy as well to um get really good branding around yourself as well because people know you're the kind of person to go to in the future when they're looking for the kind of jobs that people are more likely to use a recruiter for. So um, well done on that. I think, I think that's an awesome, uh, awesome idea uh, and a great way to do a win-win. So um, that sounds really oh, yeah. cool. It's, it's not a hundred percent selfless, trust me. <laughs> 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 we, are, we are, we are hoping and we have got some business by doing it. Like you said, a junior has a good of a, uh, like time at an event and that that agency is looking for a recruiter. Like we're, we're hoping that we're going to be the one that ends up getting recommended, but also they're they're enjoyable like i've I've never really done anything like it before but like like chat to yourself like chatting to other people within the industry it's just nice to nice to talk about what you do as a, 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 a like you've built your life around your job haven't you and, yeah. and kind of you you everyone's got their story and, and and wants to wants to help people which is which is great yeah, absolutely. And in terms of uh, uh, those people that are maybe uh, slightly more experienced and looking to take uh, the next step in their career, um, are you looking for any particular kind of um, profiles at the moment to, for people to reach out to you, um, both yeah, in the UK all, and US? All, all of them. Any any dev, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> like Literally, we've got uh, all manner of like both on-site and remote jobs all across the US, all across the UK um so yeah like obviously I'll, I'll give you my email as well like if you're looking for any job at all um within within development or engineering like feel free to drop us your um drop us your cv or your resume and we'll, i'm sure we'll have something sounds good and as we were saying the market has not been hotter in a long time so uh <laughs> if you are thinking of uh, moving on it's a good time to do it so i encourage you to uh to reach out but yeah i think um that that kind of uh brings us to the towards the end of the podcast actually and i think we've had a ton of great insight from yourself so i really want to uh thank you for coming on chris it's been a really uh, really great episode no thank you matt really appreciate it happy to do it cool good stuff well um i guess Happy Thanksgiving. It feels weird, uh, Brit to Brit saying that. Uh, and also the fact this podcast is probably releasing in mid-December. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. And thanks as well to all the listeners. Um, please check out The Code of Career and uh, follow us on LinkedIn for an exciting announcement, probably Q1, Q2 next year. Um, but we're going to try and get ourselves more embedded in the ecosystem of uh, uh, helping you get that first or second job in tech. So uh, keep your ear to the ground for more. Uh, but thanks again for listening to The Code of Career. Have a great week.